Well, friends, um, I want to dive right into our text this morning. As uh, Rashad said, we're in Matthew 5 uh, in verse 8. And I want to get us started this morning with a question. The question is this. Have you ever hidden something about yourself or played a part in order to be accepted? Have you ever hidden something about yourself or played a part in order to be accepted? A while back, I was uh, at a social event with some neighborhood dads that I was just getting to know, and I was really excited to connect. We were huddled around a fire pit in a buddy's backyard, and I was just like, I'm glad I got invited to this thing. I've been wanting to get to know some other guys who are stage of life and live close to me. And uh, we were having a great time. Uh, the, the drinks and the jokes were traveling around pretty freely. Uh, most of the evening was really just beautiful and connecting. Uh, but there was a specific point in the evening uh, when I got caught up, when I got caught playing a part. Uh, an individual came up in the conversation uh, who, candidly, a bunch of the people in the group did not like very much. Um, someone made a joke at his expense, and then another person followed on with a pretty ungenerous judgment about this individual, and before you knew it, it felt like everybody was kind of piling on. And part of me felt uncomfortable. I was like, oh, this, this feels off. You know, granted, I, I know this individual. I've been also put off by some things that had recently happened, but the way that he was being mocked kind of bothered me. And at the same time, there was a bigger part of me that I'm embarrassed to say just like wanted to fit in. I was more worried about kind of being part of the crew than I was about um, how I showed up as relates to this other guy. And so uh, before I knew it, um, in an attempt to connect with these other guys, to build some rapport, I found myself not only awkwardly laughing along, but chipping in with, uh, with a snide comment of my own. The very next day in my spiritual practices, the Holy Spirit brought me back to that moment with a highlighter, underlining it, and instantly I had one of those moments, you know, when you're, when you're communing with Jesus and it's like, oof, I missed it there. I, I'm disappointed in how I showed up. I hadn't done anything particularly flagrant, but as I looked back on the events of the previous evening, I just, I immediately knew I had gotten pulled out of my values, out of my integrity, and begun to play a part in order to fit in. Maybe you can relate. Has there been a moment where you've, you've hidden something about yourself, you've played a part in order to be accepted or to get something that you want? Pastor and author Mark Scandrett in his book on the Beatitudes suggests that not only do each of these sayings of Jesus invite us into a new posture, but they also invite us out of a default or a first instinct way of relating with one another. And this morning, we come to um, the words of Jesus that Rashad's already read for us in Matthew 5, 8, where Jesus says, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So what's the opposite of that? If um, we were to pick an opposite of pure in heart, uh, Pastor Scandrett suggests that it might be this instinct to hide and pretend, the instinct to hide and pretend. And this instinct has been with us for a while, has it not, Right? This goes all the way back to the garden. At the very beginning of Scripture's story in Genesis 3, we find our first parents disobey God, and then immediately, how do they respond? Right? They begin to cover up and hide. They, they want to shield themselves from being seen. No sooner than had Adam and Eve disobeyed God than there was something inside of them that for the very first time broke. Where there had been wholeness, there was now division. 
And they knew it. They sensed something was off internally. And so their instinct to hide, to avoid being seen, to avoid being exposed in their brokenness. There was something that told Adam and Eve, even in that first moment of shifting out of innocence, that if I show up, if I allow God to see me, if I'm seen by God, then this thing that is off inside my soul will be exposed. And so they responded by hiding. And this is an instinct, friends, that continues on for each one of us right up until today, right? Every one of us is a paradox, if you will. We're a mixed bag. Because on the one hand, and this is, this is true, I can't overstate this enough, every single one of us is beautiful, created in God's own image, designed for good. We're beautiful. And also, paradoxically, we're broken right? Something inside our soul has been shattered by sin, and there's, there are pieces of us that are off, right? That have been warped and twisted from their original intent. And, and deep down, every one of us know this. We, we sense that there are certain parts of us that are more lovable than others. This is the human condition, a paradox, beautiful and broken. And our first instinct, if Scandrette is right, is that if we're going to feel okay in our desire to be accepted, to, in our desire to fe- find belonging, that we default to hiding and pretending. Brene Brown, um, uh, the noted shame researcher, talks about fitting in and says, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. When we distance ourselves from the parts of our lives that don't fit in with who we think we're supposed to be, we stand outside our story and hustle for our worthiness. And this kind of hustling for our worthiness is at the very core of this instinct to hide and pretend. And man, it starts off not only early back in history, but it starts early for us, doesn't it? Like from from childhood. From childhood it starts out. When I was little... My parents loved the fact that I was precocious. They were both teachers. And in our home, you know, they didn't, this wasn't like explicit, but they valued intelligence. They valued academic success. And so anytime I'd be carrying around a clipboard, anytime I'm like learning the ABCs, all of a sudden my parents, like, they just got so excited. Guys, they were like, oh, yay, our kid's really smart. This is wonderful, right? I I don't know, I probably wasn't even that smart, but my parents were like really hype about this. And, uh, you know, it's not a bad thing, right? It's not a bad thing to celebrate things in your kids. I have uh, an almost two-year-old daughter now, and I find myself all the time, oh my gosh, Ava, you're so beautiful. Ava, you're so smart, right? But, but implicitly, at a, at, a, at a subtle level, what happens, right? We began to foreground certain parts of ourselves and hide others, right? We begin to show off the parts of ourselves that we think others want to see, and hide and pretend when it comes to these parts that are not ashamed of. And and friends, if there has ever been a time when this is problem in the world, it's got to be now, right? It's got to be now when our whole world pulls at us and invites us into a posture of hiding and pretending. I've recently been interacting with the work of uh, Sherry Turkle, the sociologist and psychologist at MIT, and she names this reality saying, texting, email, posting, all of these things, let us present the self as we want to be. We get to edit, and that means we get to delete. It means we get to retouch the face, the voice, the flesh, the body. Instead of being in the world and with others as we really are, we find ourselves 
wearing masks, cultivating personas in order to win favor and the acceptance of others. And look, at some level, I get it, right? This makes sense at some level. So like all of us, all of us want our parents to like us. All of us, right, want, other, want to be accepted. You look nice today. I make up that most of you took showers before coming here. I'm not complaining about that, okay? Right, there is, there is a level at which it makes sense for us to foreground parts that are beautiful. I'm not suggesting that any of you walk out of here today and, and you know, introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Josh. Please allow me to introduce you to all the most dysfunctional and terrible parts of me, right? That'd be a weird way to introduce yourself. Not everyone is worthy to hold your wounds and your tender parts, right? Not everybody's worthy to hold your wounds and tender parts. But here's the problem. While this instinct to hide and pretend works at a level to keep us safe, right? It's a great survival strategy. This very same strategy keeps us divided and keeps us stuck. Even if we are successful using this strategy, even if we're effective at masking the broken parts of our souls, even if we can cultivate and curate a compelling image and score thousands of likes and follows and become an influencer or a YouTube celebrity out there with a divided life, there'll be something in our soul that says, it's not okay, it's not real. Parker Palmer so beautifully describes this burden saying, the divided life is a wounded life and the soul keeps calling us to heal the wound. See, when we operate in this posture, in this first instinct default of hiding and pretending, we begin to lose touch with the core of our being. We begin to lose touch with our souls. We start to disappear into personas and projections. And very often we sense that there's something off, there's something missing, something's not right, but instead of, of going inward, we go outward. We begin to see if we can create that thing which will reflect back to us the worthiness that we long for. Yo, if I can just get in this relationship over here, and this girl, or this guy, right, then I'll feel like I'm complete, right? If I could just, man, if I could just get this job and this salary, right, then I'll know that I've made it, I'm legit, I'm, I'm, if I could just get into that school, right, then I would know. If I can buy this house in this neighborhood, right, if we could have a kid, and on and on and on we go with these attempts to somehow create externally these mirrors that would, would show back to us that we're okay, that we're worthy, we're accepted, and all the time we fail to realize in our search for the missing piece that that which is missing is us. As long as we attempt to manage our image and traffic in projections, real relationship remains out of reach. You may have a thousand connections, but you're still going to wind up with deep loneliness. Palmer suggests that there can be no greater suffering than living a lifelong lie. And friends, I don't think it is accidental that we are now in a space in our society and culture where we are more connected than we have ever been and also more lonely. So many of us are caught in this default of hiding and pretending, me too, instead of showing up as we really are. So what's Jesus got to say about all this? Back to our text, Matthew 5, 8. Jesus proclaims a blessing over those who are pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, he says, for they will see God. 
Now, let me be real with y'all for a second. When I first read this verse, I thought Jesus was talking about sex. Okay. Maybe you did too. I don't know. I grew up in conservative Christian culture. Somebody else out here did too. I know. And, uh, you know, there's a strong association, if that's you, between purity and sex, right? So if you are reading this and thinking, as kind of I did initially, that Jesus is warning that if you really want to connect with God, don't look at explicit content or sleep with your partner outside of marriage, right? That is not, I would suggest to you, what is actually going on in this text. Now, there may be other good reasons for that, right? But despite my initial assumptions, I don't think that's what this passage is all about. See, in Scripture, purity generally has a much deeper and richer meaning than it's kind of given in purity culture. When a material is free, or is pure in the world, rather, it has the, the characteristic of being free from division, right? It's not contaminated by other sources. It's whole. Later in the same sermon, Jesus again brings this same concept back in, in chapter 6, verses 22 through 24, and there he's warning again about the same danger of a divided heart, but his caution isn't about sex. It's actually about the love of money and the danger or of Uh, walking in a division where we try and pursue both Jesus and wealth at the same time. In another context, James is talking about the same thing when he says a a double-minded man is unstable. The kind of purity Jesus is describing here has to do not primarily with sexual abstinence, but it has to do with interior alignment, an undivided soul. So Jesus says, blessed are the pure of heart. And heart here, too, can be a word that can get us off track based on our cultural assumptions about what the heart is, right? Because in our, in our language, and in our thinking, very often the heart has to do with the emotions. It has to do with our feelings, right? But this word in the Greek actually has to do with the, the interior, the deepest part of one's soul, right? So what Jesus is saying, in other words, is this. He's saying, blessed is the one whose values, beliefs, and actions are aligned, right down to the core of their being. I think the message translation actually gets at this pretty effectively when it says, blessed are you when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. The best way of describing this kind of purity of heart Jesus has in mind here might actually be integrity. Integrity. In other words, Jesus is inviting us from a posture of hiding and pretending into a posture of wholehearted integrity. And integrity is a powerful word, isn't it? It just has some weight to it, right? You know instinctively kind of what this quality of integrity is, right? If if your chair has some integrity to it, you're good, right? If it loses its integrity, what happens? What happens? You fall, right? Somebody's going to end up on the ground, right? Um, You want your chair to have some integrity to it. Um, Integrity is this characteristic of alignment that says that when things are in integrity, everything fits together. Everything aligns. Everything's where it's supposed to be. And this quality of integrity, when it's present, it allows for things to function effectively and powerfully, potently. For several years growing up, I studied martial arts. Um, I'm not cool. I was not very good at it. I don't remember very much of it, and please, I do not want to spar you after this gathering, okay? But one thing I do remember is how important alignment was, right? This is something that our instructors, like, drilled us in. If you're going to throw a punch, the punch doesn't come from your elbow, right? The punch comes from your lower body, all the way from from your hips, 
right? When you throw a punch correctly, the energy is being transferred from your hips, through your shoulders, down your arm, and into your opponent, right? And when you throw a, when you throw a punch with alignment, with integrity, something on the other end is going to move. There's some power there, right? What happens when you throw a punch out of alignment? Well, a couple of things can happen, right? One thing that can happen is that your punch just kind of crappy, right? There's not a lot of power there, right? You just, you throw in this that little light punch that's coming from, from your elbow or from your shoulder. Another thing that can happen is you can actually get injured. And very often this is exactly what happens. People actually get injured. In fact, the injury is so common, it's called boxer's fracture. And boxer's fracture is the injury that occurs when you throw a punch and, and things are not aligned and instead of that that power all flowing through you into your opponent, what actually happens is your hand gets snapped in the process, right? Integrity and alignment are important, and they're not just important in boxing. You know this, right? When we lose integrity in our lives, when we lose a purity of heart, it frustrates our ability to show up in the world with power, and our ability to connect with other people. A few minutes ago, I described the situation in which I began to slide out of alignment in response to some perceived social pressure. I was more concerned with fitting in, even if it meant putting forward a projection of myself, than I was about being true to my values and maintaining my own integrity. I was hiding and pretending in order to fit in in this moment. And friends, this is the absolute opposite of what we see in Jesus. It's the absolute opposite of what we see in Jesus. And Jesus is fascinating to me because Jesus, honestly, is kind of weird. I don't know if you thought about this before. Like, Jesus is a super weird dude, right? Don't get me wrong. Jesus is enormously impressive. There's huge authority and power that comes out all over the place. But there were any number of parts of Jesus that you would think that he'd be a little bit awkward by. Right? That he'd try and hide. That he'd try and kind of move into the background. I mean, this is a dude, there was rumors that Joseph wasn't his real dad. He was from a podunk village out in the middle of nowhere. Right? Vocationally, he did not have a quality education. This man was working as a lowly tradesman. And yet Jesus did not hide. He didn't try to impress people or cater to them. In fact, he constantly invited people into the reality of his life. And, and he went, he went like far with this, friends. Like Jesus straight up said, hey, follow me, come with me, even when he did not have a place to live. Have you thought about this? Like the text says he did not have a place to lay his head. Can you think about the audacity of that with me for like one second? All right. You are homeless. You literally do not have a place to stay. And you're like, yo, why don't you come to my place afterwards? Like this is going to be great, right? I mean, that's some, that's some audacity right there. It wasn't just that. Uh, how many of you have ever been in a situation where you had to ask somebody for help, right? Maybe, for, maybe it was a, a couch you needed to crash on for a couple nights, uh, either just because you were out in bad luck or, or traveling. Maybe you needed to borrow somebody's car. Maybe you're going on a service trip and you needed to raise a couple bucks, right? And you had to go around and ask some family and some friends if they'd chip in. I don't know about you. I've been in that position a few times in my life. And let me tell you, it feels, it feels vulnerable, doesn't it? right? You know if you've been in that spot. It's like, whew, this feels vulnerable. I don't like not being self-sufficient. I don't like needing to depend on other people to get my needs met. And yet, Jesus' whole ministry 
This dude, who is literally the creator of the universe, the possessor of all things, puts himself in a position where he has to vocationally depend on other people's generosity to do his work. Like, Scripture tells us that there was a group of women that had the bag. Like, they were, they were helping this man get paid so he could continue doing this thing. And what's crazy is that Jesus didn't edit any of this out of his profile, right? Like, we got the text. Jesus left it all in there. Like, how easy would it be for, for Jesus or for his followers to say, this kind of puts our guy in a bad light. Let's, you know, we're just going to shape this up a little bit over here, put a little filter on it over here. We can, you know, make that a little thinner. You know, it's going to be good. Jesus leaves it all in. And that's integrity. Jesus knew who he was. He operated in a wholehearted integrity. For Jesus, the deepest parts of his nature and character flowed through his values into his actions, into his behavior, into the way he showed up with people. And there was an authority that was present because of that. There was an authenticity that's present because of that. Now, friends, I am uh, embarrassed to admit this, but I am a millennial. How many millennials we got out here? If you're a millennial in the crowd. Okay, millennials everywhere. All right, shout out to all the millennials out there. So if, uh, if there's one thing that we value as millennials, it is authenticity. Cool. I thought somebody was going to say iPhones. But yeah, authenticity is actually the answer that I was looking for. Authenticity. Unlike most millennials, I have a high value for authenticity. Um, but I think sometimes in our culture, authenticity gets put forward not as the real version of authenticity, but as a counterfeit. Does anybody know what I mean by this? Right? As, at times we use the word authenticity, which again, I think is a good thing, is a value. But sometimes we use this kind of counterfeit version of authenticity that, that means something along the lines of just, I'm going to express whatever feels true to me. Right? I'm going to say whatever I think with no filter. Right? My dad used to say, yeah, you're like somebody who just like, opened their mouth and their brains fell out. Right? And it's like, so, sometimes we think that that's what authenticity looks like. And I would suggest that these versions of authenticity are actually counterfeit. See, according to scripture, there's not one you inside you. Right? We're actually, in this innermost being, we are divided. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on. Paul talks about this in Romans 7 when he describes the wrestling that he experiences between conflicting desires. He says, I don't understand what I do. Like, I want to do, I don't do it. Like, but what I hate, I do that. What's going on here? I'm like, Paul, I feel the same way when I need to go to sleep, but there's like social media and there's something on Netflix and then there's this bag of chips that's calling my name, right? Like, I get it. There are things that I like, I want to do, but I also don't want to do those things. There's a battle inside us, right? We're a mixed bag. We're a paradox. It's interesting, like Paul said this like a while ago, internal family systems, if any of you therapy nerds out there are saying the same thing, right? We have all of these parts inside us that are operating in different ways and showing up in different ways and pulling us in different directions. Every one of us is a paradox. We are beautiful and we are broken. Both things are true. And the path forward, I think this is, I want to dial in on this because sometimes in the push for authenticity, what actually ends up happening is we say, I'm just going to embrace and celebrate the whole bag, right? Everything that is present. And I would suggest to you that the path forward is not just settling for a divided soul. 
right? It's not just saying, okay, well, there's all this going on. It's all good. It's all to be celebrated. Great. Nor is it, as I think sometimes in the church we do more often, nor is it self-hatred, right? Because there are parts of us that we dislike. Wholehearted integrity can accept and be with all of who we are, the good, bad, and the ugly. But here's where it differs from this kind of counterfeit authenticity. Wholehearted integrity invites us beyond it. It offers us an actual path forward towards wholeheartedness and healing, towards an undivided heart where we increasingly align all the way from our values through our feelings into our behavior, where we become the beautiful people that God has designed us to be. So what is this path to purity? I think it's actually hinted here. It's not a lot of text that I'm working with this morning, but I think it's hinted here in Matthew 5.8. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You see it? You see the pathway? It's precisely the opposite of hiding and pretending. It's the opposite of settling for a divided soul. The pathway to purity of heart is coming out from behind our cover-ups into the light to be seen and to see God. In our Christian faith, this practice is called confession. And confession really is just simply the act of naming what is real, naming what is true. And this is counterintuitive for us, friends, because it goes directly against some of our instincts in this matter. Right? Because our instinct to hide and pretend tells us, yo, if you bring this thing into the light, they will reject you, right? If you bring this thing into the light, then you cannot be worthy. You cannot be loved. And sometimes it feels when we're attempting to bring this thing that's so hard to name, that's wrapped in shame, where we're hurt or broken or traumatized into the light, it feels like, oh my gosh, this would absolutely crush me. It'd be so shaming that I could never stand it. But I can say, and this doesn't make sense, but I can tell you it's true, is that when we actually bring our shame to Jesus, when we bring it into the light, in the presence of love, that instead of being reinforced or us being crushed, somehow it's diffused by his presence. Anybody else witness to that? Anybody else out there had that experience? In 1 John 1.9, Scripture talks about this. It says, when we confess our sins, when we bring them into the light, Jesus will purify us. He'll purify us. And the Greek word for purity here is katharizo, from which we get the word cathartic. Cathartic. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I can tell you there have been times in my life where I was sitting on a point of shame for a while. And it felt to me like, oh my gosh, I can't tell anybody about this. If I do, I will die. Terrible things will happen. I will be rejected. There are times looking back at my story where I was stuck in that place for a couple of years, like for a minute. I can tell you every time, every time I have vulnerably brought those pieces of brokenness, those pieces of hurt to trustworthy people in my life who looked like Jesus, what I have gotten is not shaming or more hurt. It's actually been healing. It has felt cathartic, right? And some of you know what I'm talking about. If you've been down this road, you know what I'm talking about. When that thing that you've been holding and walking with alone, when you're able to share it with somebody else, there's a freedom that emerges. 
But it's not just cathartic in the sense of releasing some kind of emotion, because I can tell you that when we're willing to face these places of shame, these places of injury, and sometimes it's, it's things that we have done, sometimes it's things that have been done to us, right? Sometimes we're talking about sin, sometimes we're talking about trauma, but whatever these things are, these places of injury and brokenness in which we feel unworthy and unloved, when we bring them into the light, it's not just a cathartic experience, we're actually taking the first crucial step towards wholeheartedness and integrity. Just before John's call to confession in 1 John 1.9, he says two verses earlier in 1 John 1.7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Man, I could talk about that for a minute. What is he saying? He's saying when we bring these points of shame and brokenness into the light, right, two things happen. One, we have fellowship, right? We get connected. You cannot connect based on a false persona, You can't be deeply loved when you are pretending. But when we come into the light as we really are, in all of our beauty and brokenness, connection happens, right? And not just connection, but we're actually purified, right? There's that word again. We're purified. We move towards integrity. Why is it that Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God? Why do do the people who are pure in heart get to see God? I'd suggest to you this morning, it's that when we choose this pathway of purity, when we choose this this pathway of wholehearted integrity, what we're choosing is to abandon this strategy of hiding and pretending, and we're entering the very presence of God. And what then happens is transformation. What then happens is wholeness, because if you spend time in God's presence, you will be changed, right? Right? It's not a neutral transaction. That relationship will transform you, friend. And honestly, I don't mean this to sound like a threat, okay? (laughs) Starfighter initiating. I'm not sure what's happening back here. But Jesus said, Jesus taught us. I'm going to need a minute. Jesus taught us that um, whatever is inside of us eventually comes out. Right? Whatever is inside of us eventually comes out. He said in another place, there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, nothing concealed that will not be known or brought into the open. See, Jesus understood that God knows all, and everything eventually reveals itself. This is incredible how this happens, friends. Some of you who are nerds like me may have read... Um, uh, Bessel van der Kolk's book, number one New York Times bestselling author, The Body Keeps the Score. He talks about how trauma lives in our bodies, right? And he says a lot of things, but one of the things that van der Kolk explores in this book is how traumas from our life manifest actually physiologically in our bodies, right? It's a crazy but profound read. And friends, when we choose to tolerate the divided self, Granted, some of us are doing it because we feel like we got to protect ourselves. We got to stay safe, right? But when we choose to tolerate the divided self, there is a cost that accrues to us, right? Places of sin and wounding unhealed can manifest in all sorts of ways. 
We're embodied beings, so spiritual and emotional problems show up in chronic pain and sickness. Unforgiven and unhealed trauma can show up as hauntings in new relationships that continue to distort fresh relationships with injuries that were incurred in the past. Right? The addiction that you think that you have a handle on, if it remains hidden, will grow until you find yourself engaging in risky behaviors that you may end up getting exposed. Jesus says there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. And friends, for some of us, that is our greatest fear. Right? That that thing that I've been hiding would come out to the light, that people would know it. I get it. It's risky. But what I'm saying this morning is that we actually have a choice. We have a choice about how we bring these things into the light. Right? It's going to happen at some point, some way. But you can choose to be in control of that process. You can choose to bring it to people who are trustworthy in a way that allows you to be healed, in a way that allows you to connect and find true belonging. And friends, I get it. Stepping into the light is terrifying. It's scary. It feels as though sometimes our shame will crush us or we'll be rejected. But isn't it interesting that the person that we are invited to bring things to is the one who already knows Right? Isn't it funny? Like, anybody else sometimes try and hide things from God in here? I do. Does anybody try and hide things from yourself that you totally know to be true, but you're like, I'm going to pretend that's not a real thing. Right? Isn't it ironic? We are silly. Because we're embarrassed about these things. We try and hide them from, from the people who can help us. Right? From ourselves. From God. Friends, Jesus is the one who already knows you completely and loves you absolutely. He is the one who, knowing fully all of your brokenness, still loved you so much to give everything in order to be connected to you. This is crazy. What I'm saying is that Jesus is one who is worth holding your broken parts. It's still going to feel like a risk. But Jesus is worth the risk. Jesus is worth bringing it to because, friends, there is a reward for integrity. When we move down the path of integrity towards wholeheartedness, the reward is intimacy. If you will choose to move towards integrity, you'll get intimacy. And so this text tells us, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God and be seen by God intimacy. Friends, that's why it's worth it. Because transformation and intimacy are some pretty big payoffs. It's worth the risk. You want to see God? You've got to allow yourself to be seen. If we were to imagine this this morning as a physical posture, I think it might look like standing or maybe even kneeling with an open body position, open hands, open hearts. Actually, let me invite you to just get into that position now, physically. Whatever that looks like for you, an open body position. Maybe uncrossing your arms, opening up your chest, raising your head. Maybe there's some muscles that need to be relaxed. Maybe there's some shoulders that could be opened up. 
Friends, we're going to move into a time of response this morning. An opportunity to move towards intimacy, to move towards transformation. As we move into confession, as we move into wholeheartedness. And friends, I'll just name with you again, you know, it's risky. I get it. I feel it. It feels that way for me too. But the reward for integrity is intimacy. And you can trust Jesus. So this morning, as we uh, move into a time of worship, we're going to have the prayer rugs down at the front here are open. If you want to come, you want to pray, we'll have some space afterwards if you want to talk to somebody. I'd ask you to consider what's true for you. What is that thing in your life that you've been hiding, been sitting on, been pushing down, have stuffed into the backpack that you're just trying to make it alone? It feels like if you were to surface, you would just die. But you're carrying alone. Where have you abandoned yourself? Or maybe you're in performance. In projection, you know you're hustling, you've got a million connections, your Instagram profile or your TikTok is popping, but you still feel lonely. Where is your life out of step with your best and truest self? What are you trying to project to the world or convince everybody else is true? How might you bring what you're noticing into the light this morning? And with whom in your life might you take the risk to share? Jesus and some trusted people who are up for holding those tender and wounded parts. Would you pray with me?